Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore no children, she became jealous of her sister. Her sister is Leah. And she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. How do you like that line? Now, we heard, we've heard the line in the history of our country, give me freedom or give me death. But I don't know about give me children or give me death. In fact, some of you are thinking, I will give you my children tonight. If that's really what you want, I will at least loan them to you for a couple of weeks, a weekend, whatever. <laughs> Take them. But in this culture, we know that it was huge to be able to bear children. And in fact, they tell us that in this particular uh, culture, that if you could not bear children, if you had barrenness, it was seen as a sign of disfavor from God. They almost saw it as something like a curse, that you had done something wrong, and barrenness is a thread that continues to move through the patriarchal family. We could see it in Sarai, uh, Abram's bride. She was barren, and she doesn't even have the child of promise until she's really advanced in age, 90 years old. And we can see it in this thread and, and in these stories. And, and I think an early question we want to ask is why barrenness? Why does God do this? And sometimes I think God does this because he wants us to depend upon him. And barrenness becomes a metaphor, not just for having children, but it can be that you feel barren spiritually or you're having difficulty in your finances or even you're having difficulty maybe just hanging on in, in life. And Rachel became jealous. She was being really driven nuts by the fact that her uh, older sister, in this case Leah, but the less favored one certainly because we know Rachel was the beautiful one and Leah was kind of the second best. And I'm sure that's how you know, Leah spent a lot of her life is feeling second best. But we saw at the end of the last chapter, and if you flip back with me to chapter 29, look at verse 31. It says, now the Lord saw that Leah, Leah was the oldest of the two, was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Each of these children's names, and by the way, this starts the family, the family of the 12 patriarchs, of the 12 sons of Jacob, who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so this whole chapter is the beginning of that promise. And so far, you know, what we've been seeing is that God's made this promise, incredible promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15. He repeats the promise to Isaac a little later and then to Jacob. And the promise is that you're gonna have these descendants and these descendants will be innumerable. They will be like the stars of the sky if you can count them or the dust of the earth or the sand on the seashore. You're gonna have so many descendants. But at this point, this family hasn't realized those promises. This family is relatively small. Abraham and Sarah have to wait a long time and then fi finally Isaac is born. Then Isaac and Rebekah have just a couple of boys, right? And we know who they are. They're Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob goes off, and, and he now has had four sons born to him through Leah. But this is by no means a huge family. I mean, if you're sitting here wondering about the realization of God's promises, this is just kind of a, 
really a handful of people. This is not the stars of the sky, uncountable numbers. But through all of this, this is going to be the beginning, if you will, of that promise. And it's going to come through 12 sons. And this family is going to change the world. But I want you to have some hope tonight that this family is a messed up family. (laughs) This family could star on Jerry Springer. This family could be on one of those talk shows because it gets ugly and it gets ugly fast. And there's infighting and all this stuff that happens. And at the root of the problems is that they didn't do things God's way. And what's happened is there's a polygamous relationship. And this comes up, you know, we see stories in the Bible and we wonder, well, why does God allow these men, these patriarchs, to have multiple wives? I thought that was a no-no in the Bible. Oh, it is. Genesis 2.24 says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, singular, and the two shall become one flesh. Right out of the gate, the Bible tells you that what God wants is heterosexual monogamy in the context of marriage. He wants two people to be married, not to be intimate until they're married, and to be faithful to one another for their whole lifetime. But the Bible is also a very real book. And the Bible tells the truth. Uh, It gives you, as it's been said in the past, warts and all. So the Bible's not phony about even some of its greatest uh, actors, if you will, in the drama of redemption. And I'm not saying that the Bible's made up because the Bible is a real story, but the Bible unfolds in a drama before us and we can relate to it so much because these people are so much like us. And that's part of what gives us the hope that God can even use us after we've made our share of mistakes, and me definitely included. You know, Paul said, Paul called himself the chief of sinners, and many of us can relate to those words. But God saw, God saw that Leah was unloved, and she started uh, bearing sons to Jacob. And, you know, the first time she bears a son, she says, well, now he'll love me. Then she conceived again, look at 29, and bore a son, uh, and because the Lord had heard I am, that I am unloved, and so certainly, you know, the first son hasn't changed the situation. He has therefore given me this son also. And so she named him Simeon. The word Simeon comes from the root Shema, and the Hebrew prayer is called the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The prayer is called the Shema because the first word of the prayer is here. And you might remember that when Jesus was born, there was a man named Simeon in the temple. And Simeon had had a promise from the Lord, from the Spirit, that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And his name means hearken or to hear. And Simeon was able to hold the Christ child, do you remember? And he says, now I can depart in peace for my eyes have seen thy salvation. And then he goes and he breaks into this prophecy about the promises of God, that God is faithful. And so the second born, the first born Reuben is behold, a son. The second born is Simeon, and it means God has heard. God sees, he hears. And she conceived, 34, chapter 29, and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, he was named Levi. And every time you see one of these verses, Within the verse is the meaning of the name. Levi means attached. 
And so Levi becomes the Levitical line, the priestly line, the line from which Moses and Aaron come, and we can see that in the book of Exodus. And then finally she conceived a fourth son, end of chapter 29, and said, this time I will praise the Lord. This is how we ended last week. And therefore she named him Judah, and she stopped bearing. Now only for the time being, because she's gonna bear more children, but the fourth son, Judah, means praise right there in the setting I will praise the Lord and Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah and I I pointed out last Wednesday that from the unloved woman the older of the two but certainly the unloved from Jacob or Israel comes the Messiah it is interesting an interesting thought I'll let you chew on this that from the unloved wife the one that Israel doesn't love comes the Messiah And when the Messiah comes on the scene in the very history in which we are now living some 2,000 years ago, the Messiah comes and sadly, he is largely unloved by Israel. You know, Israel is called the bride of uh, Jehovah or Yahweh in the Old Testament and yet we can see this picture where, you know, he came to his own and his own would not receive him but John goes on, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. In fact, many times in the book of Acts, we can see that you know, the, they start in the synagogue and they say, if you won't listen, then we're gonna go to the Gentiles. And there's a great Gentile response to the gospel, unfortunately, because a lot of Jewish people did not receive the Lord. And Rachel saw all this. You know, can you imagine, you're the, you're the pretty one, maybe you've been favored your whole life, but now you watch your older sister pregnant four times. And by the way, she's getting pregnant from your husband because this is a polygamous marriage. And so each time, you know, that uh, Leah has the, the showing of pregnancy, she has the big tummy, and Rachel walks by the tent, you have to imagine that there's a little bit of uh, muttering going on, a little bit of nasty looks. Maybe some of that, right? Not, they're not happy. I believe that there was a lot of tension in the tent of Jacob, now, last week I told you I think the guy was in regular counseling, and I, and I think that chapter 30 will simply affirm that idea. I think there was a lot of pressure on this guy. You know, uh, we saw him a few chapters ago between a rock and a hard place because he was running from Esau who wanted to kill him, and he was heading to Laban, and he slept on that rock pillow and anointed it with oil and all of that stuff, and it might have been easier for Jacob to sleep on a rock pillow than, be, than to be between two sisters who were mad at each other. And, and this is intense stuff. This is who's having babies and which one does he love and, you know, etc. Who's going to get his attention? And while it is true that he loved Rachel and Rachel was the one he had promised to give the seven years for and then he gives 14 years for her. But you can imagine that each time a baby was born to Leah, his attention was turned to Leah and that child. And Rachel was looking on. And Rachel was getting more frustrated and more frustrated and more frustrated. And she would be with him and would not be able to uh, conceive. And the Lord was behind this all. And Jacob senses that. Jacob knows that God's doing something because Jacob's already experienced some personal lessons and he kind of knows that God has a way of growing us even through pain. Amen? Sometimes God will do something. He'll make us wait. He'll say, you've been the favored one for a while. Well, maybe now I'm going to teach you some lessons of growth. Maybe Rachel was a bit spoiled. Maybe she was a bit stuck on herself. We don't know. But God 
God gives favor to Leah, but not to Rachel. And Rachel, you know, I take verse one that she probably said this more than once to Jacob. I think she probably said, give me children or else I die. And I'm sure it was, you know, dinner time conversation and stuff. And I could see the perplexed look on Jacob's face. Like, what do you want me to do, woman? (laughs) You know? I'm sorry, but things are just not working out. And, you know, four babies are born to Leah. And even though Leah was fruitful, Leah was lonely. And there's a lot of women in our world tonight that, you know, maybe they have material possessions. Maybe they have some tangible blessings, but they're lonely. Leah was a lonely woman. I could imagine her even after she's, you know, come to this fourth pregnancy, coming to the realization that it doesn't matter how many kids I have for this guy, he's never going to love me the way he loves her. She was fruitful, but lonely. And maybe that's you tonight. You know, maybe you've experienced some blessings. Maybe, you know, for some people, they've had a spouse leave them. Some people are married, but for all intents and purposes, They're still lonely because there's been a break in that relationship. And Leah is a picture of a woman who's unloved. She's in pain and she's lonely. And finally, when the fourth one is born, she's made a decision in her life. And his name is Judah. And she's just, she doesn't even say, you know, okay, I hope he'll love me this time on baby number four. She just says, I'm just going to praise the Lord. My focus is going to shift from Jacob to Jehovah. My focus is going to shift from him to God. Now, her circumstances doesn't, don't change, but God was changing Leah. And finally, on the fourth child, she says, I'm just going to praise the Lord. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice, right? Where does he write that from? Prison. That's Philippians 4, verse 3. He goes on to say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord and the, and the peace of God which, what, surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Jesus Christ. And whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, he goes down this list of all these things. Let your mind dwell on these things. She shifted her focus. And that's the lesson in Leah. Leah just decided that she was going to focus on God instead of hoping that someone would love her who was never going to love her the way she deserved to be loved. And I find that sad. And I don't know if you, when you peel back the, the layers here and you, you expose the story, I don't know if this was Leah's idea. I don't know if she was in cahoots with her father and when he said, we're gonna fool Jacob and it's gonna be you instead of Rachel, I don't know if Leah was part of the plan or if she just bowed to the will of her father. I don't know how much she had to do with this, but she certainly had to live with it. And that's one thing that happens to us is we make decisions. And if Leah was in cahoots with her father, then we could assume that, you know, God was allowing that to happen as well. God often lets us live with the consequences of our choices. But the beauty of Leah's story is that through Leah's line or Leah's blood would flow through the lines of Levi and Judah. In other words, Leah's blood is in the blood of the Messiah because from the tribe of Judah comes the Messiah. And so, did she know that at the moment? No. God is always painting a picture, doing things on multiple layers that we can't see. So, 
You know, when you are struggling with stuff and maybe the answer's not right in front of your face, be of good cheer. Many people in the Bible stories didn't know the big story. They didn't always realize everything. But Isaiah 61.3 says that God will grant uh, to those who mourn in Zion, he will give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. God gives us beauty for ashes. Ashes are a sign of mourning in the Old Testament and in the New. And Jesus gives us that oil of gladness. But for Rachel, as we shift away from Leah to Rachel, Rachel's barrenness was devastating. She was beautiful, but barren. And I'm sure we've met our share of beautiful people in the world, and they look very pretty until they open their mouth. You ever met somebody like this? You're like, wow, that person's stunningly beautiful. And then they say something, and you're like, oh, my goodness. What happened? It would have been better had they stayed silent. But... But Rachel was, she was a knockout. You know, we're told she was beautiful in form and face, but beauty doesn't mean everything, and she's beautiful but barren. And there's a lot of people in our culture, I'll just make this application, and I think you all know it, that beauty is everything to this culture. So you gotta look beautiful, you gotta keep up with everything, the magazine covers, and so forth. But do you know that behind a lot of those beauties that we see, they're barren, they're empty on the inside. They don't have true life. And so you can, and look, I, I believe you should do your best to stay in shape and look as good as you can. Don't get me wrong. But I am saying that's not where life is found. And so there's gonna be many, many lessons that come out here. And, and you know, maybe for the umpteenth time, she said, give me children or else I die. And she was driven by jealousy. When Rachel saw chapter 30, verse 1, and don't worry, we're not going to do the whole chapter tonight. When <laughs> somebody was saying, man, he's, it's, he's telling the introduction. It's, this is verse 1. And if you've been here for a while, that shouldn't shock you at all. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore no children, she became what? Jealous of her sister. Turn to the book of James for a second. James chapter 3. James is shoe leather doctrine. Uh, James just gets in your face and tells you like it is, whether you like it or not. So here's the book of James. Back of the New Testament, the book of James. What does, joy do, uh, what does uh, jealousy do to us? One of the things I think it does is steal our joy. But j this is James 3.13. There's other things that jealousy does. James 3.13. Who among you is wise? James 3.13. And understanding, let him show by his good behavior his deeds done in the gentleness of wisdom. Have you noticed that wisdom is gentle? I don't know if you saw the vice presidential debate last night, but Mike Pence was amazingly patient last night. In fact, I will make a confession. I was on my treadmill yelling at the television <laughs> while Mike Pence stayed calm and seemed to be in the spirit. Praise the Lord. <laughs> So there's hope for all of us. Anyway, but if you have, verse 14, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom, mentioned in verse 14, is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
There is disorder in every evil thing. And you could just write in your Bible there, Genesis chapter 30. Because that's what's going on in Genesis 30, is that there's disorder and every evil thing you could imagine springs from the platform of jealousy. Back to Genesis chapter 30. I'll tell you what, jealous people are ugly people. And we've all probably been there before, but when we're jealous of other people, it's, we lack contentment of where we are with the Lord. And so, um, again, this chapter is hopeful, but Jacob's response, uh, chapter 30, verse two, back in Genesis, Jacob's anger burned against Rachel, and he said, here's his response to give me children or else I die. He said, I'm, am I in the place of God? Have you guys ever said that before? If you have a New Living Translation, he said, am I God? who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? I think that's why I think implied here is that she said this more than once and I think that finally Jacob just went, oi, hey, woman, I'm not God. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what vitamins you need to take. But look, you're not having children. What do you want me to do? I'm not God. And Rachel was thinking, she's keeping score. Leah four, Rachel nothing. At the end of the bottom of the fourth inning, it's, yeah, it's ugly. So he says, look, I don't know what to tell you, but I think in Jacob's response, he's saying, you might wanna get before the Lord and find out what's going on. You might wanna do what Isaac did for Rebecca and pray. You might wanna find out if there's something behind the barrenness. Now, when we're going through times of barrenness, it's good for us to seek the Lord. James 1 tells us, you know, we should count it all joy when we fall into various trials because the testing of our faith produces endurance and so forth. But it goes on to say, if any of us lacks wisdom, James 1.5, let us what? Let him ask of God who will give wisdom. Do you know, James 1.5 is actually a verse in the context of the testing of our faith. So when we're going through a test, what James 1.5 is teaching us is that we should ask God, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? Now, let me, let me be clear. I don't believe that everything you're going through has some sort of spiritual lesson in it. I think we live in a fallen world and sometimes just things happen. I don't ask the question when I get a flat tire, I don't know what's going on, Lord. <laughs> the devil flattened my tire. <laughs> you know, Get behind me! I don't do that. Okay, sometimes I just say, wow, I have a flat. <laughs> Bummer. You know, the last time I got a flat, I didn't even pray. I just called AAA. Maybe that's my own personal shortcoming. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we need to be careful with that. And so... Here's what Rachel's gonna do. Desperate times, desperate measures, all that. Verse three, chapter 30, she said, here's my maid Bilhah, go into her, sleep with her, that she may bear on my knees, if you're wondering what that means, if you have a New American Standard, it means on my behalf, that through her I too may have children. So here's what happens. Rachel has a maid, her name is Bilhah. I don't know where she got that name, but anyway, we won't go there tonight. But if you have the NIV, it says, here is Bilhah, my maidservant, sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, so that through her I too can build a family. 
So she gave him her maid Bilhah as a wife. This is the idea of the concubine now, or the proxy wife. In ancient days when a woman could not bear children for her husband, they would bring often a maidservant in, and this was kind of just the cultural way they did things, and she would bear children for her mistress or the one she served. And so some people might say that this is the marital ethics of Mesopotamia, meaning that this is what the pagans did, and the Jewish people just seemed to follow the pagan lead. And I will comment and say that whenever we're following the world's lead on marital ethics, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. But anyway, she gave her maid Bilhah as a wife. And you have to imagine, you know, with no television, no internet, I would venture a guess, a strong speculation, that Rachel was familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah. Well, Genesis chapter 30 is one of the most, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It's a funny chapter. It's, it's an insightful chapter because you find out that the patriarchal family, the, the line of Israel, actually comes from four different women. You have Leah and Rachel, and you have two concubines that uh, enter into this relationship as well. And uh, four different women produce the 12 tribes of Israel. And sometimes when you hear this, you're like, really? What's going on? What's the deal here? Well, the deal is that the Bible does not hide the fact that humans are very frail, very fickle. And we have issues, folks. <laughs> That's the bottom line. We have problems and we sin and we make mistakes and we blow it. And there's jealousy and selfishness and, and one-upsmanship and you name it. It's here in the Bible, warts and all. And I think that as you look at the Bible, it shows you, it helps you understand that the Bible is telling a true story about real people who have real problems. And yet, from this family line comes the Messiah. The Holy One of Israel comes from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And ultimately, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I think when, when you are able to peel back the Bible and take a closer look at the people and the, the players and the issues and, and what's going on and who was involved, you say, wow, these people are not much different from me at all. In fact, in some cases, they seem to be worse than me. <laughs> but look, God's not grading on a curve. That's why Israel is established, at least a huge part of why Israel comes into existence, to be governed by God, but to produce ultimately the Messiah and to be a light to the Gentiles. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry, and we have an opportunity to expand our reach. We exist to build up believers and reach out with the gospel to others. And we need you, our listening family, to partner with us in prayer and in giving in order to do that. You can give in a couple different ways. One way is to go online to livingtruthradio.org, or you can send in your offering to Living Truth Christian Fellowship, 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92. Eight eight zero. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org 
and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.